Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. Great episode. We wanted to look at a project here locally that talks about the history of the LGBTQ2 plus community, and it is the Ottawa Village Legacy Project. This is something that has been put together in the past 10 years, and it profiles locations through downtown Ottawa that have a relevant history to the LGBTQ2 plus community. So there's a website devoted to this project. There's also an app that you can download and you can look through the various sites. It tells you where they are when you get to a site, gives you a bit of the history of that location. And a lot of them are centered around Bank Street, which here in Ottawa is a major north-south street. It's an area that a lot of bars, lots of shops, really a, a very vibrant part of the city and historically it has been associated with the community and about 10 to 15 years ago a part of bank street if you've ever been into the city from somerset ish down to james street ish has been designated as the village and there's signs down there denoting that the intersection of somerset and bank street has a permanent rainbow crosswalk to denote its location within the village. So it's a a project that is really fun to look at, to play with on the app. So we wanted to talk about it today. So we have a a bit of a different structure of the episode today. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to speak with Glenn Crawford, the person responsible for initiating the project, did a lot of the work on the app, the historical work, the interviews the archival research behind it so i talked to glenn for a little bit and then i went out into the city and because of covid i had to do this by myself i couldn't we we couldn't have it so that glenn and i went around to some sites together so i went out myself and i take you along for the ride with me as we visit some of the sites in the app give you a bit of a sense of what it's like to go to some of the sites to use the app to to see some of these things that if you're just walking by as i have many times through that neighborhood that you may not notice right as you're walking through it so having this app really for me brought forth some of the history and some of the things in the neighborhood that you can just walk right by as you're going on your day-to-day life and then we come back and talk to glenn a little bit more after i had been out and about to get a better sense of his approach to things, the way they decided on the sites, just to, to really get a sense of how this whole thing came together and what you can expect if you come to Ottawa and use the app and, uh, and, and take part in some of the self-guided tours there as part of the Ottawa Village Legacy Project. So a lot of fun recording this one, both talking with Glenn and heading out into the city. So hope you will all enjoy. So with that, let's get right to the first part of my chat with Glenn Crawford. One of the creators of the project, Glenn, joins us now. Glenn, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I am very well. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. So the project, the Village Legacy Project, uh, you know, this is the sort of thing that I think is very applicable to a lot of communities across the country that that have some of these these histories. But for you specifically, how did you get involved with the Village Legacy Project? And what's a, a little bit of its origins? 
Well, it originated as an idea, essentially, to create some sort of public art kind of recognition of the 2S LGBTQ queer slash <laughs> community uh, through the, um, the um, Bank Street business improvement area. So I have been involved uh, as sort of a community activist for many years and I guess was somewhat high profile because I was uh, one of several people who was, was involved with creating the actual vis- village designation on Bank Street. Uh, so when this particular uh, idea sort of came forward from the Bank Street BIA, I submitted a proposal of what I thought um, would be a good idea for the project, uh, and that included uh, the walking tours and creating a, a mobile app and website that would document the history. But then it also included some of what they had sort of originally asked for, <laughs> which was uh, um, sort of public art on the street, including things that we've since done. The um, the Bank Street has these power boxes that we've wrapped uh, archival photographs onto, as and we also created a uh, a forty set uh, or set of forty uh, banners recognizing community uh, sort of leaders and and icons, I guess, of the community here in Ottawa. So kind of a, effectively a portrait gallery. The, that's kind of how I got involved. I basically just submitted a proposal and, and mine was the proposal that was chosen. So so what did the, the Bank Street Business Improvement Association, so they put out this call. What was their initial vision? You, you mentioned a little bit some of the images, uh, the visual side of it. But mm-hmm. I also imagine that at least part of it is for them would be trying to draw people to the bank street area. And I remember I moved here to the city in 2009 and this is a time when bank street was pretty much all torn up, right? The the actual mm-hmm. infrastructure of the street was torn up. So how much of this project is, is associated with that time of just bank streets history of, of trying to, revitalize the street and this being a a way to do that and and was that part of the project in any way? I guess you could say indirectly yes. Um, As you mentioned uh, the street was being reconstructed that and that kind of precipitated my interest in in the village designation itself uh, the official designation from the city which was about a five to six year process of lobbying to holding fundraising events, doing things to try to, I guess, convince the various stakeholders uh, of the uh, logic and sort of commercial potential, I guess you could say, or marketability of creating Bank Street as sort of a, you know, a queer designation um, that, yeah, I mean, sort of could create sort of a unique vision for the street but also kind of recognize that at that particular time at any rate uh, there were quite a few bars and organizations uh, and businesses that were in the area that had sort of naturally coalesced ottawa has sort of a bizarre history well not bizarre but um difficult i guess history in terms of you know we came to get a village much later than most other canadian cities Part of that, of course, was the gay purge that was going on in in the 40s and 50s and 60s in the government. And that sort of culture of fear that was still resonates uh, in the community today, in fact. So it it took a while for uh, our community to, you know, 
as they say, come out of the closet, I guess. Uh, and this was kind of the, the push to do so. So the, 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 the reconstruction of the street per, per, um, precipitated the, you know, the work that we did to create the village designation. And at that time, the BIA was against the designation. Uh, there was a different executive director at the time. And when the designation happened, after a few years, that person retired, a new person came in as the ex executive director, and she was very positive about uh, the village designation. So it kind of did a bit of a 180, and instead of being um, people who were challenging the idea of a village, she was championing it. So, so I guess, you know, each thing kind of led to the next. So for anyone who doesn't quite know the city that well, how would you define the village? Like, is, is there a specific border listed to it? I, I know there's that stretch on Bank Street, what, from Somerset down to, what, James Street-ish, where there's the signs. But is there, in the designation, is there a point at which you are in the village and then not in the village? Like, Is there a, a defined border there? <laughs> Yeah, we, we say that the, uh, the village is between Nepean and uh, James Street, um, and Somerset's kind of right in the smack dab in the middle of that. And that designation sort of came on fairly early on in terms of, uh, you know, what myself and other, uh, like we had sort of a small committee. And, uh, you know, that was based on, you know, where particular organizations and businesses uh, were located. And that was kind of where sort of a critical mass of, of, you know, I mean, there were, I mean, the lookout bar is, is in the market area. Uh, Swizzles uh, was existed at the time and it's, it's further up on bank on Queen street, but uh, the majority, I guess you could say of, of the businesses and, and organizations were sort of in that six block radius. So, so that, that's the official designation, but uh, that happened. Uh, in fact, I think this is the 10 year anniversary of the designation this year. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of places have closed. And so <laughs> um, it, in some respects, it, it sort of now looks like that a lot of things that were kind of visible as being like a queer space are no longer there. Um, but, uh, you know, because of the, the public art that's out there, because of the, the street signs and the designation, I do feel that this is effectively our safe space in the city, that people, um, you know, will hold hands with their partners in this area, and they may not feel comfortable doing that in the rest of the city. So, so there is a sort of a historical, I guess, element to it, um, which is where the Village Legacy Project comes in, in that, you know, a lot of our spaces have closed. And that's just kind of the trend of villages in general, you know, in, I guess you'd say, Western culture, you know, as sort of gentrification and as more, you know, assimilation into mainstream society happens. And, and as things become more virtual and, you know, a pandemic <laughs> yeah, you know, accelerates that as well. So, but you know, as I say, I mean, I've lived here in this area um, from that whole period, and and have seen those changes happen in the area. So, um, so that's kind of a you know a gratifying thing about what's happened. All right, so I'm going to head out and I'm going to look at some of the sites and uh, play with the app, and, uh, and so we'll listen to that. And then we'll come back and we'll check in with you, Glenn, and, and we'll get a little more sense of, of the app and the tours and how the sites were selected. So uh, we'll go out to me on the street and we'll be right back with Glenn. 
Hi, so I'm here in front of Ottawa City Hall facing Laurier Avenue. Just a bit of wayfinding for anybody who's not super familiar with the city. I am across from Confederation Park, which is the closest park to the War Memorial, the National War Memorial, and then Parliament Hill. I, I could be on Parliament Hill in under 10 minutes of a walk from here. It's about four or five blocks from the Parliament buildings. And this is a pretty major intersection of Elgin Street and Laurier Avenue here. So I thought this would be a good place to start. I'll just pull up the app here, which I've downloaded. And it knows where I am. You have to turn on the location settings so that the app knows where you are. But once it does, it'll pull up a different list of options that are closest to you. So the closest thing that is to me that's part of the app right now is at the Lord Elgin. It's called Video Lord Elgin and the Persecution of Queers. It's a video and there's a whole paragraph here about everything that took place associated with the gay community in Ottawa at the Lord Elgin. Uh, let's see what else is here. What else is interesting? All right, so for the Lord Elgin, I'm not gonna walk over there because I can see it from where I am through the park, the hotel. So just a, a summary of what's written in the app here is the hotel opens in 1941 and it became a space for closeted gay and bisexual men, especially those working for the government. Of course, this was a time where you could not be out in the governments and for a long time, people were fired from the federal government who were gay. And so the Lord Elgin was a thriving underground gay scene in the heart of downtown. And the downstairs, the downstairs tavern called Pick's Place was the uh, was an informal bar where there was cruising going on, especially in the washrooms. There was a jukebox. And uh, there's, uh, I guess, some back and forth between the customers and the management over the volume of the music being played. Uh, there was another bar on the first floor called The Library. That's an informal title where you had to be formally attired to get into there. Now, during the Cold War, you have witch hunts taking place where gays in the civil service would be sought out by plainclothes RCMP officers who would go to Pick's place, hide behind newspapers, with strategically cut peepholes to take photographs of the customers for customers for identification. It also says here that, quote, some of the more openly gay men who had nothing to lose were only too glad to mock and humiliate the officers. So overall, this is pretty, pretty interesting. Like, you know, it's on the phone. I would say this is about two pages of text. But pretty interesting to see the, the gay history associated with the Lord Elgin. Let's go over to Metcalf Street. So there's a stop here over at 152 Metcalf Street. So let's have that be our first stop on the tour. All right, so we made our way over to Metcalf Street and 152 
is just south of the Ottawa Public Library, which is the corner of Metcalf and Laurier Street. So it's going to be about five minutes to get over here. And this is St. Peter's and St. Paul's Anglican Church. And uh, so this one just has a short little paragraph noting that this is the location where Maurice Belanger and Michael Black got together to create the new gay rights organization in Ottawa in 1971. And they held meetings here every second Tuesday starting in uh, 1971 and then eventually moved over to Chapel Street in August of 1972. So what I like about this app so far and the two locations is that you would not know this just looking at the building. This is an older looking church here in downtown Ottawa. There's nothing outside of it that would denote that this is an important landmark to Ottawa's gay history or anything like that. It's, it's a church. Uh, it's a, I mean, nice enough church, but, uh, but no markers or anything like that. So the app brings you over here and says that, hey, like this pretty nondescript building, right? you wouldn't, like there's no historical markers of any sort outside the building, just generally speaking, pretty nondescript. But it actually does have a, a place in Ottawa's gay history. So, I, you know, I like the app for that reason. So go back over and see nearby, see what we get. There's a lot here within under half of a, a kilometer. So let's go a little further afield here. We'll head over to the Bank Street Diversity Mural. All right, so we've made it over here now to Bank and Nepean. I'm just off Bank Street. This Bank Street can be pretty loud. So here for the Bank Street Diversity Mural and actually been painted over. So head on over to Active History for the post associated with this. I will put up a photo of what it used to look like. So the mural was commissioned in 2010 by the Bank Street Business Improvement Association. And it is a, or it was, a reproduction of an archival photograph showing a streetcar moving along Bank Street and shows the old Imperial Theater, which became Barrymore's, which was, or is a dance club. I don't know if it's gonna open again after the pandemic or not. And around the photo are a group of people from past to the present, which includes Irish immigrants, shoppers, and a lesbian couple with their child under a large arching rainbow. Now, the fact that it's been painted over, I'm assuming, is more of a product of the fact that it was done in 2010, and outdoor murals don't do all that well in this climate. So I'll also add a photo of what this looks like now. And this looks like it was done during COVID because it features a nurse wearing a face mask. So I'm guessing what's here is a pretty recent addition to the building. But what's cool, like even though I came over here for the mural that's not here anymore, it shows sort of the living nature of the city that this thing wasn't there anymore. But in the app, the photo is still there. It, it still tells the story of why, what it was depicting, why it was put there. So, you know, I'm here, I get a different mural, which is pretty cool, and I still get the history of the other mural. So, not what I expected, but not too shabby either. All right, for our next stop, let's refresh the app. What I like about this too is, yeah, if you just refresh every time you move around, it'll give you a sense of what's really close to you and where else you can go. Let's go to 
down Bank Street and head to the village. All right, so heading down to James Street, I stopped here at Bank and McLaren Street. There's one of these wraps, and if you are familiar with the Carleton University project, the local public history project that uh, Carleton did, they wrapped a bunch of mailboxes, utility boxes, I honestly don't know what they are. Uh, and there's one here that's part of the Village Legacy Project, and this one is Peter Evans, who uh, is identified here as Ottawa's first AIDS victim in the first AIDS walkathon in this city in October of 1983. This is one of those cool things that, you know, a lot of the sites that we've seen so far and a lot of the sites on the app don't have much identification outside of the app. But here's one that is pretty open, pretty visible. So there's a, a tangible thing that you can see as part of the tour, part of this project. So, uh, and this is something that you'll see across the city in, in various locations, mostly downtown, but through the Carlton project and then as part of the Village Legacy project as well. All right, so we've made it down to James Street and Bank, again, a little further in off of Bank Street, just to make it a, a wee bit quieter for y'all as we look at what's here on the app. And so I'm standing just beyond the dearly departed James Street Pub. Uh, it's one of the best patios downtown that we had here. And it, uh, it I don't know if it was a casualty of the pandemic, but it did not survive the pandemic. It's not going to continue. It's now going to be condos, as is the case in a lot of uh, places downtown. So here, this is the village, uh, or it's identified as the village on the street signs. It really starts a couple blocks up at this stop on the app. It's noted that in February of 20, 2006, Diane Holmes, the city councilor, who was actually the, the councilor in my district, my zone, whatever it's called in the city, uh, when I moved here, uh, she's no longer the city councilor, she retired, that she hosted a town hall meeting from or for the LGBT community seeking input regarding the reconstruction of Bank Street. And among the attendees at this meeting was our guest today, Glenn Crawford, who volunteered to be a community liaison during the project. And with the Bank Street Business Improvement Association, there was the idea to create the village. The formal plans for the street uh, initially did not include this. So there was a, a campaign that was started for the designation of the village by the community. So we have uh, a committee formed and we have a prototype built in 2010. And then Jim Watson, who was elected just in uh, 2011, it was 2010, but he was newly elected in 2011. And you had six village signs put up in this area of Bank Street to denote the gay history of this part of the city. And in the 10 years since, you have more signs. You have a permanent rainbow crosswalk at Bank and Somerset. And then you have, of course, this project, the Village Legacy Project. So there, there's this greater awareness and this greater push to recognize, represent the LGBTQ2 plus community in the city, uh, and not just to have it be a June thing or in, in Ottawa Pride Parade and the, the Pride Week is in August. So it's not just in August here or not just in June. 
this is going to be a year-round thing. So these signs are up year-round. The intersection at Somerset and Bank Street, that's permanent. It gets repainted, I would assume, every year in the spring. I don't know when they do it. But it always looks pretty fresh when you walk by. So you can just see how this recognition, uh, this permanent recognition of the community and the community's contributions to the city and, and this, uh, in particular, the, the history within this area, that being recognized is relatively recent and certainly this project is part of that and so as we've walked around the city we've seen different forms of recognition in a couple spots nothing there at all and the app walks you through the history of that spot and then in other places you have some sort of physical tangible thing that represents the history and then once you get down here into the village you have the signage and everything that goes along with it without giving you the history necessarily but it does give you a sense that this is representative of the community or it's a welcoming place for the lgbtq plus community so there's all sorts of, of different commemoration and different visibility of these sites and that's what's really cool about the app is that it'll take you to the nondescript ones but also explain to you some of the more prominent ones in the city so so really cool and, and I, i've just visited a fraction of the sites here on this little walk around and I did visit a couple other ones that I, I didn't record at because either it was too loud or just I mean there's so many of them so this is a really cool project it is very much centered in the downtown but a, a lot of cool sites and a lot of sites that you might not recognize as being significant to the LGBTQ2 plus community in this city so uh, now that we've explored a little bit let's go back inside and resume our conversation with Glenn. All right, so we're now back inside. Glenn is back with us. So uh, Glenn, I, I really enjoyed that, getting out and uh, looking at some of the sites. Obviously, I couldn't get to all of them on the show. So first of all, how did you decide on the specific locations and what was the process surrounding the research and determining not just maybe even the sites, but the individuals who are profiled? And this, it, it feels like, as you know, as a historian myself, feels like something that would have had to have a large team behind it to get all of this material put together. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for that. That's that's lovely of you to say. I, I guess um, I can be honest and say it was effectively a team of one. <laughs> myself. Um, I I mean I uh, I mean part of the reason perhaps that I was selected to work on the project was um, not only the activism that I did in terms of getting the village designation um, to happen, but uh, I also used to work as a journalist for a paper um, that no longer exists uh, outside of uh, online, but at the time it was called Capital Extra. And I worked there for about a year and being a journalist, you know, I had to really, I mean, I guess I won't get too much into my personal history, but, you know, I, I grew up in, in Ottawa and in Canada and the suburbs, and, and I was completely unaware of this, you know, sort of burgeoning community that was happening uh, with all these different, you know, bars and organizations and, and businesses and such. And so um, that's, I guess, one of the reasons why I was kind of passionate about the village was because I thought it was really important for us to be visible for the people who maybe weren't in that sort of circle of knowledge. So when I worked for the paper, it opened my eyes to just how much was actually out there. 
uh, all the different resources and and connecting with you know you know as a journalist interviewing various you know executive directors or business owners or whatnot. Uh, and so I, I kind of made a lot of I guess you'd say connections uh, in that way. And I learned a lot of the history of what what happened in the city. So uh, sort of before I guess my time. And I and I had done also some other research work. Uh, for a uh, Toronto-based documentary film writer. And those things kind of all sort of helped me kind of know where to start to look for things, to have broad strokes of like what some of the key kind of, um, you know, issues that or um, incidents or events that kind of happened specifically in Ottawa. Um, and also like who to talk to in terms of who had that, you know, that um, living history, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, it was a combination, the research was a combination of, um, you know, going to various archives and interviewing people. And so the app sort of includes all of that, plus archival photographs. And it's kind of sifting through all of that information to kind of you know, determine what are the key stories to tell, right? right? And and to, as best as you can, kind of pin down facts on a community's history that isn't very well documented, right? Uh, or hadn't been so much at that time. You know, because when you're, when you're dealing with people's personal recollections, they may not exactly remember things when or, you know, when right. things happen exactly and that kind of stuff. So, um, so anyway, it was, it was a process. Uh, and as I say, I think I kind of had a bit of a head start in terms of like where to look and like what to, what to cover. And I, I did the best that I could uh, in terms of discovering and, and documenting things for a community that was often quite underground and, you know, try to represent the diversity of the community when, the, you know, the sort of the visible part of the community, particularly the 70s and 80s and 90s, was predominantly white. So in many ways, it feels like it's an incomplete history. There's many more stories to tell. And it's, it's hopefully down the road whether myself or someone else will take on history like more current history that will hopefully involve uh more diverse communities as more people feel more confident to be out and to uh be involved in communities so well it's interesting that you you frame it in that way because you you mentioned earlier when we were talking the purge that took place in the federal government and I know that Ottawa has a more diverse employer field than just the federal government, but there are times in this town where it feels like a single employer town. Uh, like e- even today, it, c- it can feel like that. So if there, you know, if the, if the majority of the population is employed by the government and the government is purging members of the community, even as you're trying to un- unearth these stories in the last 10 years, there would be lingering damage from that and people who don't want to share the story people who want to or who that that fear that was instilled in the community was uh-huh. still there and you even saw it when i was out in in one of the sites where i was talking about how rcmp officers would go and into the bar and see who was there and that the people who weren't employed by the federal government seemed to very much enjoy taunting these individuals who were there for the express purpose of seeing which government employees were there. So, but in your research, did you find that to be true that, that 
for as, as as much as these locations and this history can be affirming and it can be uplifting to the community, did you also find any residual pain, re- re- residual damage that was done just from how poorly people were treated, uh, particularly in this town, by the federal government as the principal employer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I often sort of joke that the federal government is kind of like, you know, Ottawa's factory, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, you think of like Sudbury as like a nickel town or something, you know, like we've got the government. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that is very true about Ottawa. And, and yes, of course, uh, you know, I mean, the, the primary people that I was, that I was interviewing were people who, uh, you know, were longtime activists who had come through a process of liberation and self-acceptance. But the stories, and, and these were often people that I, that I knew personally, some for many years, but the stories that, uh, that they told me in, in uh, you know, interviewing them and, and documenting for the, for the project was fascinating because, uh, you know, I mean, one individual told me about how he was entrapped by a uh, railway person when he was, you know, trying to cruise <laughs> him uh, and, uh, and, you know, I had to pay him like 50 bucks or something to, you know, so that he wouldn't get arrested. Uh, another person talked to me about how he knew of people who, you know, had been fired uh, from the government and, you know, the, the personal pain that that took on that person, you know, that even when they were 80, you know, years old and uh, were just coming out, um, you know, that this trauma that happened to him, you know, kept him in the closet for virtually his whole life, right, till, up until he was 80. And so... Uh, and then, you know, the person that I was interviewing was in tears relating how much pain this other person was going through. So uh, another a woman that I spoke to um, talked to me about housing discrimination that she faced, you know, where um, when the landlord of the apartment that she was renting with a few other uh, lesbian women uh, found out that they were lesbians, he was like, well, you know, I'll still rent to you, but I'm charging you more now because that's the price you pay for your lifestyle. So, you know, the stories that are, um, that are out there are legion. Um, you know, I think anyone, you know, and, and the, as I say, these are people who, you know, have, you know, are, are freedom fighters and, and who built a community from the ground up and, and are, you know, you think you see them as, you know, community leaders and people who have, who are very strong, but you know, that, that those things happened to, you know, to everybody. And, and if you, if they went through those, those particular traumas, then, then, you know, virtually everybody in in the community did at one point or another. Right. So, yeah, it's, I mean, again, those are the stories that are often untold, right. Because as you say, they may be fearful uh, some of these people committed suicide. Um, right. You know, there was there was a sex scandal that happened. It was an escort service, and uh, the clients of this escort service, uh, all of their names, telephone numbers, place of work, was published in the paper. So they were getting you know hate calls, crank calls, fired from their jobs. You know, disowned by their families. If they had children, they would lose you know custody of their children. Uh, and, uh, this one person threw himself off his balcony because, uh, he knew that, you know, his life would be tormented by this news getting out. So the injustices that happened were, 
you know, horrific. And although we certainly know of some stories, there are many stories that, you know, sadly, probably will never be told. So what has the response from the community been to this project, both in its original form and the ideas as you were putting it together and, and talking to all these people, but then also the, the final product? You know, as I was out there, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a, a very valuable contribution to the city's history. But I'm curious as to know what the feedback has been just broadly as people have explored it, as, as people have done some of the tours, have visited some of these sites. What are you hearing or what have you heard from folks who have gone out and used the app? Well, I mean, I guess it's it's a little bit like, uh, you know, you're in a bit of a void, right? You don't you you put something out there and you don't know exactly how it's being received. Um, but the feedback that I've received has been overwhelmingly positive for sure. You know, people who, you know, appreciate, uh, you know, because as I say, not only are there sort of stories and archival photographs, but we've also produced 10 documentaries. Uh, many of which we've also translated in in French as well. So, you know, and we've, uh, you know, we've presented them at uh, film festivals. um, And, uh, you know, I've been asked by uh, Heritage Ottawa, for example, to do uh, speaks on on the research that I've done. So I get, you know, and, and certainly I've done a number of sort of print media and, and uh, radio media interviews and, and such sort of talking about the project. So I feel like it's been well received by the community um, and even by people outside the community who are just curious about the history uh, and uh, the historical academic community has also uh, been quite positive and responsive to it as well. So that's really you know gratifying considering I don't consider myself a quote-unquote researcher, but it was an honor to sort of be, I guess, the custodian of that, uh, of those stories and that history and to put it out there for people to access. And hopefully it encourages people to do, as I say, more research and, and tell their stories. And that's something too, that it kind of did occur to me as I was out there, that they're potentially like, this is something that could be added to, this isn't necessarily a static thing that, that, more people can tell stories, people can can add to it. So, and it'll constantly evolve. And to that point, uh, I did want to ask you, because as I was out there, and, and certainly we re- recorded this, I went to the diversity mural at the corner of Bank and Nepean, which mm-hmm. uh, isn't there anymore. And I <laughs> wondered aloud, as I was standing there, if that was just a product of it's really hard to have an outdoor mural survive for 10 years in this city. Just the weathering that can take place over the course of 10 years in this climate. Because mm-hmm. uh, it looked like the the new mural that's there, which is quite nice, is very COVID-y in that there's a nurse with uh, a mask on. And so that was my take on it. But do you have any specific information about that particular site? Because one of the things I actually enjoyed about it, obviously, if the mural was there, that would have been great. But... It wasn't, and it was still on, and it, it was still on the app. And I had this opportunity to almost reflect on how the city is evolving and continues to evolve. And the yeah. fact that that diversity mural is in the app, but it wasn't on the wall, actually was a, a, a cool moment for me to have that point of reflection. So, can you just offer any insights, maybe into that particular site? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, as you say, the the, the city is evolving, the the community is evolving, and and as things change things that that were current become part of that history right so um yeah it's it's absolutely true that has been recently painted over and you know 
being a team of one <laughs> and not being my full-time job by any stretch, uh, you know, I don't necessarily uh, get a chance to sort of update it as much as I'd like to. But yeah, it's interesting to to even have that, you know, record of it, um, you know, even if, as you say, it's no longer there because uh, it was something that, that was done. My personal opinion, I, I think it was kind of a... Well, it wasn't the best mural, <laughs> honestly, in terms of its aesthetic value. Um, I think the intent was good. Yeah, but we still have our um, the We Demand mural that we put up. Uh, again, that would be 10 years uh, in August when uh, when we installed, because I was, again, part of, because part of the village, we actually commissioned that mural to be painted. Um, so uh, so we still have that one. And uh and uh, you know we've we've certainly added a lot more public art um, since the beginning of the project. So uh, so that's great, you know, because people. While of course it's it's a, you could say it's a promotional way to, for people to sort of learn about the the project itself and hopefully go to the app and go to the website and find out more information. Um, it also just makes the history incredibly accessible, right? Like yeah. everybody who's walking the street would, you know, can stop and go, huh, you know, why is this person on a banner? That's interesting. Or, oh, like this is a, a power box and it talks about somebody who was thrown off a cliff. Like, you know, that's a horrific thing that happened, you know, to, uh, in the 1980s. So, you know, those kinds of things, you know, it's it, it feels, as I say, gratifying to sort of be a part of, you know, hopefully informing people of this incredibly rich, interesting history that, you know, even our own community probably doesn't have a strong uh, understanding or grasp of, right? It's not something that's taught in schools. It's not something that, you know, I don't even think in universities is probably really covered. So, you know, where are people going to get that history, if not from our own community? Yeah, I think that's really well said. And especially in this town, when i mean not now but you know a lot of times in the summer there's tourists here and this is this community what we're talking about the the bank this bank street corridor it's less than a 10 minute walk from parliament hill and that i think that's also what makes this kind of valuable as well is that this is a part of the city where if you are a tourist maybe you're not going to bank street as part of a tour necessarily but you're really close and you can pull up this app and you can get a sense of what this community's history is without going far away from the more traditional tourist sites in the, in Ottawa. So it really just shows how, how ingrained the community is to the city's history and how accessible something like this can make that history. And that's why, again, I think it's such a valuable contribution. So if anyone was coming to the city, if, if, you're listening to this in the future and you're allowed to come to this wonderful town. Uh, it's safe to do so again. Uh, how can people find the app? Where can they go to find more information and just a little bit, what, what should they expect when they pull it up? Sure. Uh, well, the app is, is uh, downloadable on, on an iPhone or an Android. Uh, you just would search for Village Legacy Project. Uh, you might want to try Village Legacy Project Ottawa just in case, but it should come up. Uh, you'll see a little rainbow icon that spells bank. 
and then you know you're on the right one uh, and you just download it. It's perfectly free, completely free. And uh, it, it just starts you off. Um, there's a variety of different tours, one that sort of focuses primarily on Bank Street, but there are others as well. Um, sort of the history of the various gay bars in the city. You know, I sort of forget all of them, but there's quite a few. Uh, the particular uh, early queer organization called Gays of Ottawa, which sort of as the community kind of expanded its diversity, has the name changed over the years, <laughs> but it's still sort of collectively known as Gays of Ottawa. Uh, so there's a tour on all the various locations of where uh, that organization had offices uh, and sort of public space for people to, um, you know, go to dances and things. So there's a variety of things that, you know, people might be uh, interested in. And as I say, there's uh, there's a, ver- a ser- series of 10 documentaries. I have plans to do more, but just when... <laughs> you know, time and money uh, permitting and uh yeah it's um you know and then of course it's available as a, as a standalone website as well so if you happen to be you know have a laptop or a, a tablet or you know you're on your personal computer it's just villageottawa.ca or sorry uh villagelegacy.ca Yes. Uh, yeah. And yeah, just looking at the tours here too. Yeah. A list of known gay bars, gays of Ottawa history, marching to equality, the village legacy project walking tour. There's video documentaries, as you mentioned, then community heroes portrait gallery is another mm-hmm. one. Uh, so yeah, everyone, we encourage you to check it out. Even if you're not in the city, you, there's a lot of stuff here that, that you can find out about Ottawa and the app works if you're not in Ottawa anyway. So uh, you can definitely check it out or as Glenn mentioned, village legacy ca so glenn i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today congratulations on the project oh it was my pleasure talking to you thanks so much so there you have it our foray into the ottawa village legacy project my thanks to glenn and to the bank street business improvement association who helped set up that interview we will link all of the information in the show notes or head on over to activehistory.ca. You can check out everything there. And do let me know if there's something like this in your community that exists that we could profile either on the show or through activehistory.ca. I know there's a lot of these local history projects that go on and they're really interesting to explore. And for me, this was a chance for me to head out into the city where I live and look at this one project, but I know there's a lot across the country. So if you want to reach out, I love talking about these types of projects. So you can find me on social media at the Sean Graham, or you can hit me up history slam at gmail.com. So that will do it for this week. Thank you everybody for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show, wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff to help us beat those algorithms and keep growing the show. And as always, do head on over activehistory.ca. We are fully loaded over there with lots of terrific material. So as always, check it out. You can also find all of our past episodes over there under the podcast tab. So we will be back with you again next week. But until then, if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.